0: attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. The Trump trial judge in New York should read my new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. Assuming Judge Arthur and Gorin can read and comprehend simultaneously, He might just learn something valuable about our nation's esteemed document, specifically the meaning of the First Amendment. It is neither conditional nor selective. Every citizen has a right to speak freely, even those on trial. The court and its staff are not immune from criticism. They don't enjoy an imaginary special protection or dispensation hidden somewhere in the Constitution. But this is a concept alien to N'Goran, who seems to hold the Bill of Rights in contempt. Either that or he slept soundly through constitutional law class as a student some years back. It was N'Goran who imperiously held Donald Trump in contempt for commenting about court personnel during his ongoing civil fraud trial, enforcing a lawless gag order that the judge had earlier imposed. That order was a blatantly unconstitutional prior restraint of free speech and a presumptive violation of the First Amendment. In Gorin, which rhymes with moron, didn't care. He wears a ceremonial robe. He sits on a high bench. He thinks it elevates him above mere mortals and empowers him to do whatever the hell he wants civil liberties be damned. N'Goran is the worst kind of judge, arrogant, smug, hostile, self-righteous, and obtuse. Repeatedly, his behavior on the bench has been bizarre and riven with bias. When the trial opened, he seemed in love with the attention, enamored of his sudden status as he mugged for the cameras. Then he kicked his authoritarian dictates into overdrive as he tried to silence the principal defendant, Donald Trump, even though the Constitution gives the judge no right to police a party's statements outside of court. Last week, an appellate judge temporarily shut down in Gorin's ruling while agreeing with Trump's lawyers that the gag order was an abuse of power. This is especially true because the person being censored is running for high public office, the American presidency, and has a preeminent right to speak freely in defense of himself. Equally important are the First Amendment rights of listeners. They are entitled to hear speech in the same way that speakers are entitled to deliver their speech. In the very few cases where the U.S. Supreme Court has tolerated limited gag orders, they invariably involve the issue of speech that might adversely affect a jury. But this is a bench trial, ladies and gentlemen. There's no jury that will be tainted by any out-of-court remarks. That renders Ingoron's order even more absurd. Ingoron has alleged that Donald Trump is harming the legal process. (laughs) That is laughable. In reality, Trump is the victim of a politically driven case brought by New York Attorney General Letitia James, who campaigned on the promise to, quote, get Trump. She literally said that. Now, at the time, James had no access to investigative files had seen no documents or evidence, knew nothing at all about Trump's financial statements submitted years ago to banks for business loans. Yet, in exchange for votes, Letitia James committed herself to a predetermined course of action with a preordained outcome. James's actions are an egregious violation of the canons of ethics that govern prosecutors. They have a duty to see that justice is done, not gain a conviction by targeting a specific individual for personal or political reasons. But the AG selfishly wanted to advance her career by exploiting the high office she was seeking, so she went about vilifying Trump and derogating her authority. In a series of splashy news conferences, She all but convicted Trump in the court of public opinion, before ever filing her specious case accusing Trump of inflating the value of his assets to obtain favorable loans from banks. She then mangled evidence, twisted facts, and contorted the law to achieve her malevolent goal. The notion that Donald Trump should not be permitted to respond in public is offensive, and an affront to the First Amendment. He can and must defend himself by pointing out the unethical behavior of James, her prejudicial case against him, and the overwhelming bias of the court. This is fundamentally constitutional. Beyond the spurious gag order, the trial itself resembles a farce. Before any witnesses took the stand or evidence was introduced, ingoron ruled that Trump committed fraud and was liable. Well, the trial hadn't even started. That is so reminiscent of the old Soviet show trials, where guilt is predetermined. The trial itself is an ostensible exercise, a charade. James brought her case based on this oddball consumer protection statute that she dusted off somewhere in the archives. Her interpretation of it completely undermines more than a century of established common law, which requires proof of intent to deceive. What did she do? She unilaterally tossed that basic principle right out the window. Moreover, the lawsuit against Trump also violates the U.S. Constitution by penalizing incorrect commercial speech with no intent to deceive, which the First Amendment absolutely protects in case after case. The testimony at trial shows that Trump did not himself prepare the financials given to the lending banks. No, his organization, hired outside real estate experts, respected accountants, and some of the top lawyers in New York to do all the work. Those professionals vouched for their work. But they also alerted lending institutions in a disclaimer document that they must conduct their own due diligence, which they did. The banks retained separate experts who, in the end, agreed with the Trump valuation's and they loaned the money. Those banks profited handsomely by pocketing more than $100 million in profits. So let me ask you this. Who has been harmed here? Well, the answer is no one. Where is the concrete injury that the law routinely demands? How is it possible that a consumer protection statute can be used in a case where no consumer has been damaged or impaired in any way. Only in an Alice in Wonderland justice system can a rogue prosecutor and a lame judge be allowed to levy a quarter of a billion dollar penalty against a defendant and take away his business despite no showing of detriment to any individual or entity. But that, is the sorry state of affairs in New York these days, where the inmates run the asylum. Joining me now to talk about it is Alina Haba, one of Donald Trump's lawyers in the civil fraud trial. And Alina, I know you've been in court all day long. Thank you for taking the time to join the brief. Uh, The defense is now presenting its side of the case. How's it going so far?
1: I think it's going well. um, Today, We had an accountant on for the Trump organization who showed emails displaying that Weiser Mazar's, the accounting firm, had full access to the Trump organization, had every bit of information they wanted um, and had looked at and reviewed and edited in many instances their statement of financial condition, even though it wasn't an audited report. So. You know, that's really they're going to have an uphill battle. As we know, there was no intent. There was no fraud. The only thing they have is the judge. And that's a big problem because we have bias in the courtroom. That's not the way it's supposed to go.
0: It is a big problem. I mean, this is a judge, Arthur and Goran, who um, made a decision before the trial began. Uh, he he right. decided in advance of any testimony, any witnesses taking the stand, any evidence presented in court during trial, that Trump is liable, that he committed uh, fraud. Uh, you know, as I said in my opening remarks, it, it kind of reminds me of the old, old Soviet show trials, you know, where guilt is predetermined. I mean, that's really what's going on here, isn't it?
1: hundred percent. It was predetermined, and he says it all the time. His comments are consistently, well, let's just let them have it so we don't get, you know, a problem down the road on the pellet level. I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy's like, hey, I already found fraud. He says it all the time. I already found them guilty of fraud, so it doesn't matter. You can talk about whatever you want. I already found you guilty. I mean, he literally says it all the time. It's crazy. So, you know, unfortunately... um, we're in the situation we're in, but look at what happened with the gag order. You know, they, he goes so far, and then the appellate division smacks him down.
0: I was reading through the testimony of another accountant, <clears throat> other than the one that was on today, Jason Flemons. Uh, and he described a process of valuing real estate that results, he says, in a range of outcomes Appraisals, he said, uh, can vary widely. And of course, anybody who's bought a home knows that. Uh, And he said, and I'll quote here, estimated current value is not an exact science. There's not one single correct value that comes out of this exercise. And it's a valid point, Alina. I mean, Flemons went on to state that Donald Trump's statements used compliant methodologies And that any departures were properly disclosed to the banks. In other words, the banks were put on notice, do your own diligence, right?
1: That's right. There was a massive disclaimer. This was a statement of financial condition. It did not pretend to be anything other than what it was. It wasn't an audit. And these sophisticated banks did their own due diligence. And Mr. Flemons was not just an accountant. He was a fraud expert on accounting. He is somebody who looks at data, looks at at people that commit fraud and interprets whether there was or was not a fraud. And he said there was absolutely no fraud. The only problem we have is the press won't report those days. You know, it's been eerily quiet since the AG's case in chief is finished. And it's frankly been up to me to get it out there. And I got to tell you, it's crazy because they're not reporting how much their case has fallen apart. You know, they reported Michael Cohen falling apart. But when the expert on fraud says that the Trump organization did not commit fraud, they don't report that. And thank you for bringing it up and actually reading what's happening. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, you you bring up Michael Cohen. My goodness, this is a guy who went to prison for lying. And yet it, it seems to me, in a sign of desperation, Letitia James and her uh, state attorney's call a known, admitted, convicted liar to the witness stand to uh, testify against Trump? Where, I mean, where he
1: lies again, where he lies again. There's literally not a tribunal, Greg, that this man has not lied. Yeah.
0: He, he was confronted uh, with his own prior statements and admitted they were right. untrue. So that, you know, the judge is left to wonder, is he lying now or is he lying back then?
1: Right. That's exactly what I asked him. Mr. Cohen, are you lying now or are you lying then? Are you lying now or were you lying then? I asked him that a ton of times and he changed his story. He said, oh, I was lying then. Then he said, no, I was honest then." he couldn't even decide which one he wanted to go with because it's whatever suits his PR. Right. And I asked him a slew of questions about that. Did you do you make money off the Trump name? It's important for you to be here today to slam Trump because that's how you make money. It's important for you to go to the D.A. and have another lawsuit with the Stormy Daniels case, because that's how you make money. You make things up so that you can be relevant on the back of Trump, just like Letitia James. It's a really pathetic scenario.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a miserable human being, uh, Michael Cohen. Um, one of the things that has come out in the defense case, and actually it came out when Donald Trump was on the witness stand, Any overvaluation of one property on Trump's statements of financial condition was clearly offset by the undervaluation of another. In other words, one can make a compelling argument that he didn't take advantage in valuations of the Trump brand. I think that's an important point. Is that getting across?
1: No, the judge actually shut us down because, you know, facts that aren't good for him, he doesn't want to hear. We brought that point up and we said, your honor, he said, well, why is this relevant? This isn't about Doral being undervalued by billion dollars by Newmark, who did an appraisal and, and not an appraisal, but, you know, they did a, a report on it. I don't want to hear about that. That's not relevant here. But if it's the attorney general's case, he's happy to listen to things back to 2009, 2008, the inception of the Trump organization. It's so obvious when you're in the courtroom, Greg, that. Facts like that that are highly relevant to a bank, highly relevant to anybody with a business mind, anyone, it's highly relevant when you're looking to get disgorgement of profits for wrongful interest rates or or screwing a bank that didn't get screwed. That's effectively what they're doing here. Banks made money, but the judge doesn't like when they're bad facts for them. He shuts us down. It's consistent. He hasn't stopped doing it. And, And it's obvious, frankly.
0: So, Alina, it, I, as I said in my opening remarks, I, I, this case is so riven with bias by a prejudicial judge. The fix is in. He's clearly going to ruin, rule against the Trump organization. Um, but I don't see this case withstanding scrutiny on appeal. Um, is that what you're counting on?
1: Well, we most certainly aren't counting on him. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I mean... Like you said, he he had us dead upon arrival. We didn't even put our first witness on, and he said that he found fraud. So the rest is effectively just a damages trial and a degree of fraud trial, right? So I've never tried a case with my hands tied behind my back and my eyes closed, but that's kind of how it feels. So all we are doing at this moment is you know, going through the motions, hoping that there's some remnants of judicial ethics left where he'll listen to the facts and apply them. Um, but, you know, as we've seen, we filed mistrial papers, Greg. He wouldn't even sign the order to show cause because if you sign it, if you actually hear the papers, then we can argue it. And he didn't want the press hearing what his law clerk did. He didn't want the press hearing what he's done, how he's put articles about me and Eric and the Trump organization in his alumni paper during trial. I mean, it's uncanny what's happening. Um, you know, we you can't make it up. He's obviously making the record he wants to have, and we're going to make our record, and, and we will obviously keep taking it up and up and up. It's a shame. It's a waste of taxpayer dollars, but here we are.
0: Last question. I was happy to see a higher court um, put a halt to uh, Judge Arthur and Goron's gag order, and uh, in, in which he, you know, held Donald Trump in contempt for speaking about the court staff, as you mentioned, intimately involved in the whole process, Um, it strikes me that this is such an imperious, arrogant, obtuse judge that he could frankly benefit from reading my new book, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic (laughs) Documents, you know. As I said, I'm not sure he can read and comprehend simultaneously. He, he comes across like a dolt, like, like a complete idiot who I'm amazed passed the bar exam and was elevated to the status of a judge. I'm sure he won't like those comments, but I also have a, a free speech right under the First Amendment. But th- this is a judge uh, who just thinks he can uh, tell people what they can say and do outside a court of law. And the higher court said, no, you can't. Um, So at least he got smacked down on that, right?
1: Well, he also told me what I could do in a court of law. As an advocate and attorney, he told me that I couldn't put on the record any objection relating to that law clerk passing him notes and doing whatever else she did. Imagine that. I can't make a record. So now he's trying to stop any chance we have on the appellate level, let alone... Uh, outside the courtroom. It's one thing to try and stop someone's First Amendment right, a political speech, which is the highest protected speech, outside with the leading G- candidate for the Republican Party. But then let's stop his lawyers from speaking in the courtroom on the record about his staff. It's insane. So, yeah, the appellate division stayed it and um, saw right through that and, and discussed the constitutionality of it all, too. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy about that. That was a good decision.
0: All right. Alina Habba, one of Donald Trump's lawyers in the civil fraud trial, which continues to unfold in New York. Alina, uh, you've been in court all day. Thanks for taking a few minutes to speak with us. Much appreciate your being on The Brief. Anytime. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.